Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. We'd like to deal with a little bit of the sixth seal. The sixth seal. I was just thinking in my study this afternoon, what would it have been like if we'd have never heard of premillennialism? If it had never been brought to our doorstep, if we never had anybody ever say a word about it, you know what that would have led us to do? It would have led us to study the Bible about it. We wouldn't have, and I'm convinced that most of what premillennialism is, is you cannot find it in Scripture. You're going to have to read a book. That's you just... You just have to read a book. Someone's going to have to tell you what that passage of Scripture means because you can't get it out of there. So, um, writers on prophetic themes are under constant temptation to indulge in surmises. Uh, Nathan and I, and maybe Tim was too, we were watching a film the other day on... History Channel, and they had just discovered the uh, remains of a great sea creature that they told us how old it was, but it didn't tell it right there in the dirt. So I'm convinced it's not quite that old. But they told us how, and you know, before it was over with from a few bones, they told us how many ticks were on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just go from here to here. They get this bone and they go to here. They, they've got flesh on it. And they tell what kind of critters were in the sea with it. And they tell what it ate and how it died. And before. And the favorite term is, it may have been this way. And I don't know how many times they said in that 30 minutes that we watched it, maybe, may, uh, all these surmises, well, they're not the only ones that use that. Most prophetic writers use this type of terminology. And they are so susceptible. And the temptation is to indulge in surmises and speculations. And even in flights of imagination. They become creative writers. And I had to say that because I substituted for Nancy a couple of days. And a couple of her classes was creative writing. And... You just wish these kids would have a creative thought. (laughs) But uh, they're creative writers. And and the guiding principle, I think it should be, guiding principle, whatever information is essential for the interpretation of any and every passage of Scripture is to be found somewhere in the Bible itself. Somewhere there's the interpretation of, for that passage of scripture. And I I try to make it a goal. Now I don't always succeed. But I try to make it a goal. To find other verses of scripture. That coincide with this verse of scripture. So it kind of gives us some insight. Of what is there. And not to get too speculative. Because then we're really on. Unfirm ground. We are on thin ice. And when we come to these seven seals. What is being said, and even by some good writers, I just had to close the book and put it back on the shelf because they had no scripture whatsoever 
to verify what they were saying. They were going on speculation. Now, our scripture tonight, here in the book of Revelation chapter 6, is a part, we would look like, like to look at a part of the sixth seal. Now, the sixth seal covers more of the scriptures than we have been common to here in our study. First, second, third, fourth, and fifth seals are relatively short in this chapter, but the sixth seal starts with verse 12 of the sixth chapter and goes through the seventh chapter and if you'll notice, the first verse of the 8th chapter is the opening of the 7th seal. So it's a little longer in there. But it has some really grand information and shares with us a lot about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is our goal to see what this revelation is, what the church is shown as the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit, and I want you to notice verse 4 of chapter 7. Because much ado is said about the 12 tribes of Israel and 112,000 from each tribe. And there are religions that are based on this passage of scripture. And if you notice in verse 4, I heard the number of them that were sealed. And then it goes on and tells about 12,000 from these various tribes. And then if you'll look at verse 9, after this, I beheld. What did he beheld? He beheld the number that he had just heard about, and he says, And lo, a great multitude that no man could number. Now he heard 144,000, but when he saw them, there was a great number that no man could number. And he goes on to say, Of all people or nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So the 144,000 is a symbolic number for a great number that no man can number. They are talking about the same group of people. And we really have problems when we try to look at the book of Revelation in particular and the rest of the Bible in general, if we're looking at it from a literal standpoint and try to interpret it literally and don't look at it spiritually. One of my favorite verses is uh, the amount that the Lord was given out of a lamb, jawbone and a leg, or a piece of skin and a leg. Now, if we just look at that and say, my goodness, that's not much, but if we look at that as the church as they're not much until God gets a hold of them, they have, there's just not very much value in them until God gets a hold of them. He's talking about the church there in that passage of Scripture. We look at it, I like to spiritualize the Bible. And that's what the Lord did. He talked about bread. It wasn't a loaf of bread that we buy down here at the store. He's talking about himself. He talked about a door. He's not talking about a door like you and I walk through tonight. We, it's a spiritual door. He talks about water. The woman at the well wanted literal water so she wouldn't have to come up here all the time and draw water. And he said, I am that water. So we want to spiritualize things and find the spiritual meaning of things. And we, Lord only knows, we're not going to come to the full and complete conclusion about any of the things because throughout eternity, the Lord is going to reveal his grace and his glory. So he's going to spend that eternity revealing what we don't glean here, not have been revealed here. All right, look at verse uh, 12, if you would. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. Now in this, whatever seal is opened, he is sharing with us, he is making known to his church the mysteries of his kingdom. 
He's opening up. It's a revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It says, when he opened the sixth seal, here we have, one more time, the mysteries of the kingdom revealed. The mysteries of the kingdom. And he says, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and moon became as blood. I remember when I was about 14 years old, there was a phenomena. There happened to be a great deal of clouds just as the moon came up, and it put a red cast on that moon. And you know, oh, here it is, here it is. We got the moon as blood. I'm sorry. Let's not interpret this literally, and we'll be correct. Now, we may not know what it means, but we know what it doesn't mean. We know it doesn't mean this in a literal context. I think tonight we will go through some verses of Scripture that have to do with this same subject and come to a conclusion that is at least from a scriptural standpoint and not from speculation. I wanted to find out a little bit more about where is these terms used in the Bible. And they are used, in fact, they are used to the point they say this is what it is. All right, let's look at verse 13. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of mighty wind. The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now, did you know that this is a quote from an Old Testament place? <laughs> it's a quote from the Old Testament. And you're not talking about the islands out in the sea being moved by some catastrophic event. We're not looking here at the, at the sun being extinguished and the moon becoming blood. We're looking at a spiritual application here. And I believe we can find what this has something to say about at least, even though we may not come to the complete conclusion but the Bible is filled with terms like this that give us some insight. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. There is a statement made here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the apostle Peter, one more time, is used to share with us what an Old Testament passage means. He brings up an Old Testament passage from the book of Joel. And he says, this is what is happening. Now, he and his friends, he and his apostle friends, he and his brethren have been accused of being drunk. And that's why this is going on like this. And he shares with us in the second chapter of the book of Acts, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For the, these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. They haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> they haven't had lunch. They haven't had a meal. So they haven't had drink. And therefore, they are not drunken. And they have come to the wrong conclusion. Now, they've surmised. They have uh, uh, had speculation. And they have had a a vivid imagination about what's going on there that day until the Apostle Peter stands up and says this. And then he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. All right. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I absolutely appreciate and love when the uh, Apostle 
or Paul is used by the Holy Spirit to say, this passage way over here in the Old Testament, written some 400 years ago, is being fulfilled right here in front of your eyes. Now, we, we mentioned that on Sunday about that passage of Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ found in uh, the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and read there, and he says, This day is this passage fulfilled in your hearing. And he went over there to the book of Isaiah. Now here he said, this is what it is. It shall come to pass. Now he begins to quote it, and we're going to go over there in just a moment. It shall come to pass in the last days. Now to them and to the interpretation by the Holy Spirit, these apostles this day on the day of Pentecost were in the last days. God's people have believed that they've been in the last days. They have never, ever given over and said, well, the Lord's going to come in 4,000 years. They've always agreed that they are living in the last days. Now, if Peter said this and believed he's in the last days, I, I can assume that he's probably 40 years old, and for Peter... He had 40 years left, 50 years, 60 years max. And he's in his last days. Now, if the Lord should come, we're in the last days. But for any of us, 60, 80 years, 100 years, it, we're in our last days. We're in our last days. And it says here in the last days, now at this time, right after the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jews were called to Jerusalem because the law was written that they must meet for this feast of Pentecost. They must meet for this feast of Pentecost. And there were Jews from all over the known world at that time, and it gives us the list of them that were here, the languages that were represented. He says, your sons and your daughters, oh, excuse me, I'm going to back up. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, that word all means something there. Not to the Jew only. But I'm going to pour out my spirit on the Gentiles. I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, not all without exception, but all Jews and Gentiles, every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, and that's exactly what we're going to find in the book of Revelation. He shall call his people out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. He shall have a people made up of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. And here he is declaring to the prophet Joel some 400 years prior to this event taking place, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I am going to pour out my spirit upon Jews, yes, and Gentiles out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, not just the priests. God's people are going to understand the word of God. They're going to see things out of God's word. Now, he has always done this, but it's going to be so demonstrated here on the day of Pentecost what God does. He is going to open up the hearts of, what, 4,000 people this day? 
I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, this is not just to the young. It's not to the old. It's not to the male. It's not to the female. What do we read in the book of Galatians with regard to the church? In the church, there shall be bond and free, male and female. They're all equal in the church. It's not just to the priest. It's not just to a prophet. It's not just. It's not to just the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, upon the sons only, but to the daughters. It's not only to the young men and maidens, but to the children and the old men. God's grace is going out to every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, and every age strata. God is going to work a work of grace. Now, and, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I'll pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders. Now read with me here. This is just what we read in the book of Revelation. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Now, what does that mean? If this is happening on the day of Pentecost, what is this? Peter said it's happening right here in front of us. These are the events that are taking place. This is the signs that are taking place. And it shall be known by these things, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, and the great and notable day shall come. Of the Lord shall come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know how many times I heard that verse of Scripture when I was growing up, and never anything about the previous verses of Scripture. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it comes by revelation, and it comes by revelation upon male and female, bond and free, Jews and Gentiles. This is what God said, but it's going to be demonstrated by the fall of something. The sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give its light. Or what's it say there? Uh, the moon into blood before that great and notable day. Let's turn now back to the book of Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Book of Joel chapter 2. Now this is going to happen. It happened. What happened? How do we know what happened? These are a sign. They're not a physical sign. They're not an astronomical sign. We're not going to see the sun give up its brightness. What does the Bible say in the book of Genesis? Until the Lord comes back, there's going to be seasons. Springtime and harvest. Seasons. And if the real sun was put out and the real moon was turned to blood, our seasons would not be there. This has to be more than just that. It's different than that. This is different than the physical sun and the physical moon. Now, here in the book of, uh, the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. Joel, chapter 2, and verse 28. And it came to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They're going to know the good tidings. Not just to the men, but to the women. God's going to open hearts, male and female, bond and free, Jews and Gentiles. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
They're going to see the glory of God. What did John see? Well, it doesn't take us very far to go over there to the book of Revelation and say, John saw a vision, and I want to see more of it. This is not foolishness. This is not people over in a corner having a dream, a bad dream or a good dream. This is seeing Christ. John saw Christ. John saw the glory of Christ. John saw the glory of the kingdom of Christ. He saw a vision. And, upon, and also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. What? Bond and free? People in prison, out of prison? Those who are indentured servants? Those who are slaves? We find one of the grandest stories of redemption in the scripture about a slave. He ran away from his master. He got to Rome. Who did he run smack doodly dab into? Paul. <laughs> Paul's preaching. Paul's preaching the gospel. And the God was favored, looked favorably upon him and saved him. He says, okay, go home. You go back home. And you take this letter. <laughs> and you tell your master, I brought him the gospel. Now, if you owe him anything, I'll pay it. But just remind him, I brought him the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, male and female. That's what the church is made up on an equal basis. I have a book in my library. It was fascinating to read that there was a man that had a uh, plantation in the south, and his pastor was one of his slaves. Until people got so excited about it. He went to hear his slave preach the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, bond and free, equality, equality, spiritual. We may not have the same amount of money. We may not have the same amount of property. We may not have the same fame. But when it comes to Christ, we are equal. There are no big eyes and little use. We are equal. The ground is equal at the cross. It is equal. There's nobody that's above us and nobody below us. That's why it's not necessary, and we say that with emphasis, to give out rewards because the Lord Jesus told Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward. He's our reward. We're not looking for anything else. When you got all the riches of glory and you have all the person of Christ, then what else could be given? Nothing. Some rag? My goodness. Some, some pin? What? What could be given when you have it all? All right, it goes on here to say, Joel chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 30, And I'll show wonders in heaven, and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now, what's that mean? Well, I went to my computer and I says, I want to know the first time in the Bible where the word moon is used. That might give me some inside information. It's not mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. You have to get to chapter 37 before you run into the word moon in the Bible. And in chapter 37, the word moon is used figuratively. It is figuratively 
of a woman. A mother. A wife of Jacob. Now turn with me to Genesis 37. Joseph had a dream. He had two dreams. And the first dream he dreamed, and he, you know, whether he knows it or not, he is really bugging his brothers. <laughs> He's having a dream. Genesis 37. He had a dream. And in the first dream, talks about shocks of corn, shocks of grain. Now notice here, Genesis chapter 37, I want to begin with verse 5. Here's the first time the word moon is used, and it has to do with a woman. Now I think by the time we look at this, we're going to find out that the sun has some meaning too. Significance, spiritual significance. We're not looking for this sun in our sky to be darkened. We're not looking for the moon to be turned to blood. What took place in Joel chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 2 has already happened. Notice here. I got to read this. I got to read this. This is so good. Joseph had two dreams. He brings up the first one, Genesis 37, verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream before which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. <laughs> Guys, you're going to bow to me. Now, wouldn't it be foolish to literally interpret those sheaves? Joseph didn't. And his brothers knew who those, who those 11 were. They knew exactly what he was talking about because they got upset. Now let's go on here. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? They knew what this was. They didn't have to go to a chart. They didn't have to have some book. They knew exactly what Joseph was talking about. Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And not enough. And he dreamed yet another dream and brought it up and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. First time in the Bible the word moon is used. Now notice what happens here. He told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, I have read in a book. <laughs> I have a chart. <laughs> no. What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Now what is this? What does the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars represent? 
Israel. What is happening on this day? On the day of Pentecost, Joel chapter 2 is fulfilled. Joel chapter 2 says this is going to happen. Peter said this has happened right here in front of us. Israel has lost their place. The church is the most important. We're not going to go to the Israel anymore. The sun of Israel has been darkened. The moon of Israel, the mother, has been turned to blood. Do you know what? She, his mother, is dead at this time. She has passed away when this is brought up. Jacob looks at that dream and says, are you telling me that me and your mother and your 11 brothers are going to bow down to you? Now, if we follow this, and it speaks several times, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. The Lord Jesus, before the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus, before his crucifixion, brings this up. He, they are saying, Israel will no longer hold the position that they have held in the purposes of God. Before that great and notable day of the Lord. They will lose their position. You know what the Jews said in the street on the day of the crucifixion? We have no king but Caesar. You know what the Jews also said? Let his blood be upon us and our children. That's what they said. Now, what did Paul say about Jews? A Jew is not one outward, but one inward, regenerated. That's a true Jew. No longer will the nation of Israel have the position that they have had. They will pass away. Now, they passed away in a fury. A.D. 70, when Titus Caesar came in and destroyed Jerusalem and Israel, it was terrible. Terrible. But the prophecy is the gospel has always superseded the position it was the gospel to Abel. What did Paul write in the book of, of uh, Hebrews? It wasn't that they were in a country. It wasn't because they were in a nation. By faith, by faith, that's what he wrote consistently, what Paul wrote consistently about what the other apostles, by faith, the just shall live by faith. All right, notice here in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He came in power and great glory on that day when the gospel was preached 
and those thousands of people from every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to come in power and great glory. When he comes, Jesus Christ comes the second time. But he has demonstrated that the sun will be darkened. Israel, Jacob, his 12 children, his wife, they will not be the bright stars. They will not be. Israel, the nation, is not going to hold the position that it did from the time of Moses, Abraham, down to uh, the last uh, verses of Malachi. And they thought in the New Testament area, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they still were in that power position, even though, what did they say? We've never had anybody rule over us. <laughs> And got Rome ruling over them. And the Lord said, the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned to blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. And Jacob interpreted it for us. and says, Israel, Israel. They had the power position. They no longer have it. It's the church. The church has the position with God. Now, Israelites that God regenerates, they're in the church. It isn't Jews and Gentiles. It's the church. Now, he's broken down the middle wall of partition. He has caused all that come unto God must come by Jesus Christ. The law never brought anybody to the Lord. All right. Now, over there in the book of, of Revelation, it talks about a great earthquake. Chapter 6, and there in verse 12, it says, And beheld, uh, when I opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. I says, I want to know, is there any other place in the Bible that talks about a great earthquake? One. One place talks about a great earthquake. And that's when the tomb was opened. And there's another earthquake mentioned. I want to read both of them. One's found in Matthew 27 and the other in Matthew 28. Great earthquake. I like earthquakes when they're like this. They are symbolic of the freedom that God has granted to his people in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are no longer bound to this world. We have been raised in newness of life. The earth was cast open twice by an earthquake at the very crucifixion and just uh, after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew, book of Matthew chapter 27, and there in verse 50, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, the scriptures share this about an earthquake, and then we'll read about the great earthquake in the next, uh, next chapter. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 50, the Bible shares this. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Now look at the results. Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. What does it say? The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints that which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Look, here comes Aunt Matilda. <laughs> She's been dead for 40 years. My goodness, 
the symbolism here in this earthquake that opened up those tombs. And after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for three days and three nights, they were locked in the ground. But on that resurrection morning, there were many of the saints came out of their graves and went into Jerusalem and were seen of many. Great earthquake. Now, the next earthquake, and this is called the great earthquake, Matthew 28 and verse 2. Great earthquake. This is so good. Wouldn't you love to have this kind of earthquake happening on all the time? Oh, my goodness. If God would just... And he does every time he saves one of his people. A great earthquake takes the door away. They are released from prison. That's what he said there in the book of Isaiah 61. To release the prisoner. Release the prisoner. Takes a great earthquake. That's why men can't do this. They could take all the dynamite. (laughs) I had a a great visit today. Brother Dwayne shared, was your grandmother... Went down to Portland on the train. Great-grandmother. Went to Portland on the train and bought boxes of dynamite to come and clear the ground up here. Bought it for her husband. (laughs) Brought it on the train, you know. (laughs) Where would she be today if she's... (laughs) Great earthquake. Well, we can't make this kind of earthquake. We can't produce it. It's not producible. It's in the hands of God. A great earthquake. Now, notice here, chapter 28, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, he didn't release the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is going to show us he can go through walls. He didn't have to have that tomb door open. It was a testimony This is a testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not there. He's not knocking on the inside waiting for the angel to show up. (laughs) But with a great earthquake, that rolls back. What symbolism is here about what Christ does for every one of his children? I'll roll the stone away. I'm going to shake you up. Great earthquake. Now... Going back to the book of Revelation, it says there, Behold, he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there's a great earthquake. The sun became black and sackcloth of hair, and the moon began to become as blood, and the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. I don't know how many times Israel is referred to as a fig tree. <laughs> Old Testament and New Testament. And here they are. They have lost their place as a nation. What did that do for the church? Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, male and female, equal. They've always been. Now this symbol is for us. It's a symbol that God is not dealing with the law any longer. He's not dealing with Jerusalem that now is. He's not dealing with the sacrifices. He's not dealing with the Levitical priesthood. He's not dealing with all the Old Testament types and shadows and pictures that he showed there. The sacrifices, the thousands of sacrifices. What is he saying? I'm dealing with me. (laughs) It's me or no one. 
It's Christ and Christ alone. These have fallen. They have fallen. And great was the fall thereof. Now, I'd like you to turn with me back to the book of Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 verse 9. He's talking, Isaiah was a prophet to Israel. And he's telling Israel, you're going to lose your position. And he uses the same symbolic language that we found in Joel, we found in Acts, we found in Revelation. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and in, in his going forth, and the moon shall cease, excuse me, and the moon shall not cause. Now, I thought this was interesting, the, the uh, feminine pronoun her used here. The moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I'll punish the world with their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And I'll make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the gold wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place and the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. What's it say? The, the earth shall move out of her place. What does it say in Revelation? The isle shall be moved. What's going to happen? Out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, he's going to call his people. He's going to move them from where they are to where he is. If not physically, now spiritually, he's going to move them. They're going to be moved. Those in New Guinea have been moved off their island. <laughs> they may live there physically, but spiritually they're in heaven. Those that are in China, those in Russia, those in the far islands, Philippines, wherever... God's calling them out. They may be physically there, but they're spiritually in heaven. They have been moved. Now, this is the victory of God. That great earthquake, that's the victory of God. The sun, the moon, and the stars fall. That's a victory of God. This is the church now. Oh, Moses, a Jew in the church. Joshua, a Jew in the church. Samson, oh, a Jew in the church. And then all those Gentiles in the church, this great body, this great nation, this that uh, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was used, used the same words that God used towards Israel, says, I'll make you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Same words that he used over there. And then Paul said, you know, it's not a Jew that's one outward. Not a Jew that's one outward. It's a Jew that's inward, regenerated. That's the necessary part. 
regenerated. Well, we can ask ourselves again, what if we'd never heard of premillennialism? We'd have stopped by Acts and Joel and Genesis and Isaiah and said, oh, that's what it's all about. <coughs> Israel is not important anymore as a nation. The church is important. Unto him be glory in the church. And then the 144,000 said, yes and amen. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Then he goes ahead and uses the symbolism of the 12 tribes of Israel and 144,000 out of there, 12,000 of each tribe, and then concludes by saying it's a number that no man can number. Out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, he interprets it for us. We don't have to go to a book or to a chart. The long ones. <laughs> I think it's important that we have this guiding principle. Whatever information is essential for the interpretation of any and every passage of Scripture, it is found somewhere in the Bible itself. <laughs>